So uh, let's give our attention to God's Word. We're looking at John 14, 4 through 14. I'm actually going to read 1 through 14 just for a little bit of context. John 14, 1 through 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, these are your words that you have for us. And we take just a moment right now to to pray because we need you to work. God, if we're left to ourselves, you know much better than us that we will not hear what you would have for us. We will not hear good news. Our hearts tend to be hard. Our ears tend to be deaf. Our eyes tend not to see. But God, we trust that you would be so good as to send your Holy Spirit to illuminate this, to shine your light on this for us so that we might hear and see and believe. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last, if you happen to be with us last week, I opened up with an illustration about a, uh, the daughter, a five-year-old daughter of a friend of mine. And I said I would bring her back. Uh, later in the semester, and that later is now. So, thought it was coming later, but here it is. So, my friend's daughter, if, if you recall from last week, she worries about everything. Uh, she's just a worrier. And I think I mentioned, I sort of jumped the gun last week, I think I mentioned this last week, but one of the main things that she worries about, once she, began, once she understood the concept that a car needs gas to run on, Every time they get in the car, that's all she can think about. Do we have enough gas? And so she, she would just bug her parents about it, whether mom or dad's driving. Do we have enough gas? Do we need to stop for gas? There's a gas station. Are you sure we have enough gas? And so what they had to do at the tender age of five was teach her 
how to read the gas gauge, right? There's not many five-year-olds wandering around that know, you know, know how to read the gas gauge, but they had to teach her that so that when they get in the car, they can, they can sort of quell her fears by saying, look, you see, you know how to do this. We have enough, right? We have everything that we need to get where we're going, okay? And that may be a little bit of a stretch, maybe sort of a silly illustration, but I think it's a decent illustration, which is why I used it, of what Jesus is doing in this passage. We are, this semester we're studying through what we call the farewell discourse, which is Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. In some sense, it's his last words with them. They're about to face life living as followers of Jesus in a hostile world, and yet without him physically there with them for the first time. And as we say pretty much every week, that's what you and I, if you're a believer, that's what we call everyday life. And so we're looking at this farewell discourse, this speech, looking at it through the lens that Jesus is telling us what we need to know, what what he wants us to hear, to get through the everyday grind of daily life. Because life can be really hard. How do we get through it? And what I want you to see, what, what I want you to see tonight that Jesus is telling us from this passage is that Jesus is essentially saying, you have everything you need right here. You don't have to worry because everything that you're going to need, we already have. Just like gas in the car, it's all here, and it's, it's me. It's Jesus. And we're going to look at this tonight in, in three headings. So I think it all sums up in what Jesus says about himself. That I, Jesus says he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And being that, he is everything that we need. And so look, let me say on the front end that we could, spend, we could easily break this into three separate sermons, talks, whatever. So that doesn't mean that we're going to be here three times as long. Not at all. <laughs> Got an amen on that. Awesome. Um, but it does mean that there's a ton here that we, we just don't have time to cover. So maybe that's just that much more reason to go to a community group and, and discuss some of this stuff. But let's dive in. Again, I want you to see first that Jesus is the way. He says that he is the way to God. He's just told his disciples that he's going to be leaving, that he's going to, be, that he's going to die, that he's going to go away from them, and that he's going to go prepare a home for them, and that ultimately everything's going to be okay because his people are going to be with him at home. Remember, that was last week. Um, everything's going to end well for you if you're a believer. But Thomas jumps in and he says that they don't know where Jesus is going, so how can they know the way? And Jesus tells them that he is the way to get there. And then he says that no one can come to the Father except through him. So what does he mean? Uh, To put it very simply, Jesus is very, very clearly and pointedly telling his disciples that if you want to experience God, if you want to find If you want to find that satisfaction on that ultimate level that we talked about last week, if you want to be at home, if you want to find and experience God, the only way that you can do that 
is through Jesus. That's it. Now look, there's a lot of things that we could, again, a lot of things that we could tease out here, but we just have time for a couple. So first I want you to see, we just really need to hit it head on, that what Jesus says is very exclusive. Right? And, and I recognize that whether you're a believer, or, and probably especially if you're not a believer and you're here, that that very well may not sit well with you. When somebody comes along, just because of our culture, right? When somebody comes along and says, this is the only way, especially when it's in some sort of um, religious setting, the only, you know, the ultimate truth, the only way to God is this. All of us, I think, by virtue of the fact that we're American, probably get a little bit uncomfortable, even if you believe it. Because that's just not the, it just tends to rub us the wrong way. That's just not, it's not, uh, it's perceived as intolerant. But we don't like exclusivity, we like inclusivity. But I want you to see that Jesus, we have to acknowledge that that is what Jesus is saying. That there is just one way to experience God, to find God, to have a relationship with him, and Jesus says it's through him. And look, I, I want to spend time doing some apologetics and talking about um, how that really does make sense, and, but we just don't have time. But I guess suffice it to say this. If you're here and that, and that really rubs you the wrong way, if you're, if you're skeptical of those things, again, I'm glad you're here and I think this is the place for you. But just for a few minutes, could I just get you to um, sort of metaphorically and literally put the gun down for just a minute, okay? And and as opposed to seeing that as something, as an arrogant statement for Jesus to say, I am the only way, and maybe for a Christian to say there is only one way, as opposed to seeing that as arrogant, just for a minute, could you begin to evaluate that it just might be actually loving and compassionate for Jesus to say that. Because if it's true, just maybe, if if it does happen to be true that Jesus really is the only way to God, then I want to suggest to you that this is actually a very loving and compassionate thing for Him to tell us. Even though we, we tend not to like it. All right. secondly, I want you to see why Jesus is so exclusive in his claim. That he is the only other way. That, that no other religion, no other um, world and life view is adequate. The reason that he's so exclusive, that he says, look, this is the only way that there is. The reason he is exclusive is so that he can be completely inclusive as to who it, as to who it applies to. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus is, Jesus is saying, look, this is the only way to God. It, it's through me. And that's very narrow. And we don't like that. But I want to suggest to you that the reason that is, is so that Jesus, so that it can be offered to anybody that wants it. That it's utterly inclusive because it's offered to any and everybody that needs it. 
Because I want you to notice that Jesus is very careful with what he says. He says that he is the way. He doesn't say that he comes to show us the way. Jesus doesn't say that he comes to tell us about the way. But he says he actually comes and is himself the way to God. Now we've talked about this before, but in so many ways, that is the heart of the good news that I want you to hear. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus doesn't come and provide, fundamentally provide a map for us to get to God. He says that fundamentally, I am the way that you get there. If his, if his mission on earth was to come and give us an example of what to be like, how to follow him, and then he basically just looks at us and says, all right, you know how, you know how to get there, so go for it, then this would be terrible news. But that's not what Jesus says. He says he is the way. Because quite frankly, the bad news is that you and I just can't follow. We can't just follow a map. We can't follow his example. It would be like if I told you, if I gave you directions to the president, the president of the United States, his bedroom, which I can and you can get, it's on Wikipedia at least, if that's true, right? But you, So you can find directions, like a, a floor plan of the White House, of where the president's bedroom is. And this is somewhat a, a relevant illustration, right, if you've noticed that Evidently someone tried to get into the White House and you can get as far as the front door. It's not going to end well for you. But you are never, even though you have the map, you know exactly how to get there. Are you ever going to make it to the president's bedroom? Of course not. And why not? And that might seem like an obvious question, but think about it for just half a second. Why would you not make it? Well, the answer is... Because you are you, right? And I wouldn't make it either because I'm me. Because we don't belong there. You don't have the credentials to be there. Even though you know exactly where it is and exactly how to get there, you can't. The only way you could get there is if the president himself brings you in, right? If you go in on his credit, his credentials, his merit... And so I think in a a similar way, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Again, he's showing us that he has come to be the way to God for us. Not to serve as an example. Because we we need his credentials. Have you ever thought about the question, what does God require of you? What does he require? Is it that you try your best? Is it that you work hard? Is it that you believe in him? Actually, no, the answer to what God requires of us is perfection. And we just can't be perfect. We're just not perfect. So Jesus, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he earns perfection for us. And we get credited with his righteousness. And so what that means that Jesus is is absolutely exclusive. The only way to God is through Him. And that seems very narrow. But He has to be narrow in that so that He can be utterly inclusive and say that it's only through me, and because it's only through me, anybody can get in. 
absolutely anybody that needs it can get in and get all the way in. And so what it means, the application for us, there are, you know, tons, but is it means that, that a relationship with God, being forgiven of your sins, connecting, being in right relationship with the God that made you is absolutely by grace. It means that you can't and don't earn it. That it really is just for free. That your resume can never be good enough. And look, let's, let's be honest about things. hope that that's something we do here at RUF. But let's be honest about the rest of life. Really, all of life, it's all about what you earn. Right? It's about how good... Are you good enough? Right? You, you only get into schools which you merit getting into. Were your grades in high school good enough? You only get that scholarship if your grades are good enough. You only get into that grad school if you're good enough. You only get into that fraternity or sorority if you're cool enough or if you're athletic enough or whatever. Really, you only get that job if you're good enough at whatever it is. Everything in life is about your resume and if you stack up or not. And I don't know about you, but that will wear you out. Right? You're, you're Baylor students. I'm beginning to get to know you. And in so many ways, that's, that's where you are. That's what's driving you. You've got to be good enough to get into grad school. To, and it's a grind. Right? I've been listening. There's been a camp. I hope that I don't get myself in trouble with any of this. There's a camp that's been doing interviews right, in the sub for, for counselors. And I sit in the sub and meet with people and, and I overhear some of these interviews. And basically, I hope that doesn't sound too terribly creepy. Like, um, okay, note to self, don't ever sit in the sub if, if Way's in there because he's going to hear you. But I sit there and, and I overhear some of these interviews and basically it's just people, you know, you're giving your spiritual resume. I want to be good enough to work at this camp. Look, I, and you, I hear people, you know, I read my Bible this many times and I do this and I'm this and I... And what I want you to see is that, it, look, and that, that's, that's not an indictment. I'm not saying making any statement on that camp or the people going, nothing. But God comes along in the beauty of the gospel and he says, look, your resume sucks. <laughs> but it's not about your resume. I don't want you to, in some sense, I don't want you to worry about your resume. I want you to take mine. And I want you to take it for free. That's the good news. So Jesus comes along and he says he is the way. He also says that he is the truth. And I think that what Jesus means when he says that he is the truth gets fleshed out in this conversation with Philip in verses 8 through 12. So right after Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him, uh, in verse 7 he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And at that point, Philip jumps back into the, jumps into the conversation, actually, in verse 8. And he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Show us the Father, and it's enough for us. It's, you can almost hear his frustration, right? He's been listening to Jesus talk about being with the Father, and how ultimately we're going to be with him in heaven, and, and those sorts of things. And it's almost like he just gets a little desperate, gets a little fed up with all that, 
And it's almost like you can hear him asking like, yeah, 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 I know that, but how do we know that that's true? You know, if we could, if we could just see a little bit more, if you would just give us a little glimpse of God, that would help so much. Right? Then we would be able to believe these things a little more and know these things a little more firmly. If we could just experience God in some maybe new, different way, if you would just show us the Father. And Jesus tells him essentially what John 10.30 says, which is, I and the Father are one. Right? Jesus looks at him and he says, look, the Father is in me, I am in him. We are one. If you know me, if you have me, you have the Father. Jesus is basically saying that I am the one. If if you want to know and experience God, if you want to know what God's like, He's like me. I am the the, um, ultimate expression of what God is like. And we could say it this way, that Jesus explains God to us. I heard one pastor say that when a kid asks the question, what's God like? That the best answer is Jesus. God is like Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is showing his disciples and us here. That he is the ultimate truth of God. And so if, if you want to know God and experience him, if you want to find true and ultimate satisfaction then you have to know where to look. And Jesus is is telling us, you don't have to look any further than me. I listened to a a This American Life episode. Anybody familiar with that podcast, radio show, This American Life? No? Am I that out of touch? Okay. It's really good. It's normally one of the top few uh, podcasts on iTunes, so get with it. All right, so from one of the episodes called Self-Improvement Kick... It was about a guy named Daryl Watson, okay? And Daryl had been a devout Christian basically his whole life, uh, but he had left the church and he was searching. You know, he basically said, I just don't know about all this stuff. I really want to find true meaning. And so he just, you know, punts on the church, wants to find purpose in life. And so I wrote this quote down. He wanted to, quote, to feel a connection to God, a clear, unshakable answer. So he, threw aside his, so he threw his career aside, he left New York, and he tried all the classics. Here it is. Silent meditation and fasting for 40 days, a trip to Peru to study under a shaman, a holy trip to Jerusalem. And he did this for a year, and nothing helped. And then the whole story is about how he came across this uh, lady called the Peace Pilgrim who had years ago sort of been in a similar situation, and she decided what she's going to do is walk across America. And so for like 20, for 28 years, she just walked. She lived off what people gave her, she walked, she just walked. 28 years. And he read interviews about her and how she had found, she had found God doing that and purpose in life and all this sort of stuff. And he said, that's, that's it. And so he sold everything he had. He got rid of his credit cards, his driver's license, the whole bit. And he just starts walking. And he made it three days. And he said it was the worst three days of his life. And he said, where is his quote? Uh, Oh, the peace summed up with these words. Which landed him in the same messy place so so many of us are in. Not having any answers. So we just ignore the questions 
and we get on with our lives. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is getting at when he says that he is the truth. Right? That you and I are built to experience God, to experience life in him, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And the answer of where we find that, Jesus is saying, is me. Right? You find it in him. It's like if Jesus could sort of speak directly to Daryl Watson, right? That you're not looking in the right places. If you want to find God, you're looking in the wrong places in what he called the classics, right? Like trip to Jerusalem and all those sorts of things. Like that's not it. Jesus is saying all you need to experience God is me. So what does that mean for us? How do you and I, because you know, very, well, very well might be saying, well, yeah, neat for those disciples, right? Jesus is right there, but thought that's the whole theme of the series. Jesus is not here. So where do you and I experience Jesus, right? We have the Word, right? Jesus said he was the Word incarnate. We have the Word, we have the written Word, right? You have... You have Jesus revealing himself to you right here in your lap. We have his word in the Bible. So if you find yourself as a non-believer, if you're here and you think, yeah, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, but you do want to connect with God, you want to you find meaning and purpose in life, then I want you to see that Jesus is saying, well, at least look in the right place. And that place is the scriptures. And that place is the church, by extension. And so again, hopefully you find that here at RUF. But if you're a believer, and you find yourself thinking, I, I w- why doesn't God give me some sort of experience where I could, that I could hang on to a little bit more and know that these things are real? Like, exactly like Philip's saying, why can't I see God? Right? Have you ever thought if... If I could see God part the Red Sea, if I'd have been there that day, I would never doubt again. I mean, like, if you see the ocean open up and a million people walk through it safely and then other people try to and it goes back, you know, don't you think, if I saw that, man, I'm good to go. I'm not going to doubt anymore. But what happened to those people, right? They all doubted. That if you could see one of Jesus' miracles, Right? I would never doubt again that this is saying to us, look in the right place, and that right place is the Word of God. Right? That's great news. That You don't have to look any further than Jesus. Go home, we don't have time to talk about it, but look at Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. It says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Yeah, we don't have time. Sorry. We'd love to talk more about it, but we just don't have time. So Jesus says he is the way. Jesus says he is the truth. Thirdly and finally, let's end with this, that Jesus says he is the life. And I think we see that played out in verses 12 through 14. I think that's Jesus is telling us a little bit about there what he means when he says he is the life. He shows us that everything that we need to, ha- that we need to experience life, to have life and live it to the fullness, we have because of him. And he shows us what, what, what that looks like. And 
certainly that's what we're all looking for, right? We all want to, we all want to truly live, right? We want to, you don't want to just make it through the day, right? You don't want to just make it to Tuesday and you get up and you do that and you just make it to Wednesday. We all want to find life and live it to the fullest, right? We all want to matter. We all want our lives to count for something. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is showing us. But if you want that, you don't have to look any further than him. Three things real quick. Uh, Jesus says life will look like for those that follow him. Jesus says that we will do the works of Jesus. And in fact, we'll, we'll do even greater works than Jesus. All right, so what in the world does that mean? So think about what Jesus did. He raised people from the dead. He healed people by touching them. By just speaking it. Uh, He fed 5,000 people, uh, more than 5,000 people, miraculously. He did all sorts of unbelievable things, right? He walked on water. And God is saying here, Jesus is saying, you will do greater things than me. So what does he mean? Does he mean that, because you look around and you haven't seen anybody doing these miracles. Well, so how do we understand that? Well, he, it can't be that he's saying that we will do qualitatively greater things than Jesus. Right? That you'll feed 15,000 people. But I think what he's saying here is that, that if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, then you will, you will be a part of something. You will do quantitatively greater things than Jesus. Because if you think about it, Jesus' ministry was very local, right? He had 12 followers. He had 12 disciples. He ministered geographically. Think about the region he ministered in. It was very, very small. But it's just a few, you know, Peter's first sermon, right? 3,000 people get converted. Just a few decades, the message of Jesus spreads across the whole known world. Jesus never made it to Waco, Texas, right? He never came to this hemisphere. And yet, his kingdom has advanced in incredible ways, right? So you see that it's evidence of what he promises right here. That his followers are going to go on to do greater things even than he did. And so how do we apply that? What I want you to see is that if if you're a follower of Jesus then your life is a part of that story. Your life and everything that, you, everything that you do is a part of changing the world. Certainly that has to sound at least a little bit exciting, right? Because it's so easy to go through life and look at like, you know, it's class, right? I'm just, I'm just doing this sort of daily grind. But what if you really are an integral part of changing the world, of God bringing His kingdom to bear on this earth. And that in the mundane, in and out, everyday things of life, it's actually a part of that story. That when you talk to your roommate, when you, when you serve somebody, when you, when you advance creation, when you create something, whatever it is that you do, that you're actually a part of that story. Secondly, 
the resources that we have. Man, we have to fly through this. Jesus says that if you ask anything in his name, he'll give it to you, right? And now look, it doesn't mean that if you ask, because a lot of people have misunderstood this, if I ask for a million dollars, I'm not going to get, you know, am I going to get a million dollars, right? I'm going to read you one verse that's going to help you there. 1 John 5, 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right, Jesus is saying that if you, I am all about the business of furthering my kingdom. And I'm enlisting you in that world-changing mission. And anything that you ask that goes along with that, I will use all of my resources. I will put them at your disposal. So that's, those are the resources that we have. All that are at the disposal of Jesus. Thirdly, finally, let's finish with this. That all of this is based on Jesus' work. That he is the life, Jesus is the life that does these things. It's his life that brings us into the kingdom, right? He is the way. It's his life that sustains us. It's his life that provides for us. Everything that we do happens because of Jesus. Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. Let me end with this illustration. It made me think of... uh, Last year, Miles played T-ball. It was his first time, yeah, maybe two seasons ago. It was his first time, he's our oldest, to play baseball, which is T-ball. And, you know, don't want to brag too much, right, but he, he could hit the ball just fine. But there was a, a girl on his team who had obviously never even attempted to hit a ball before. And so when it was her, her very first at bat, I mean, literally, I don't think she'd ever even given this a shot. So she goes up there, and Coach recognizes this. She gives it a couple of shots, and it doesn't go well. So Coach goes up there, and he gets on his knees, and he stands behind her, and he puts his arms over her arms, and his hands over her hands, and she and he grab the bat, and they size up the ball, and he swings his arms back, which swings her arms back. And he brings his arms forward, which brings her arms forward. And they hit the ball. And it dribbles off the tee. And she runs to first base. And she's just thrilled. Right? It was this beautiful moment of getting to see this, this you know, four-year-old girl. She was just beaming. Because she had done it. She had hit the ball. Had she hit the ball? No. Had she hit the ball? Yes. Right? Why? Only because someone else came and and she did it in, through, with someone else. And what I want you to see and I want to end with is that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. I think that's a decent picture of everything about the Christian life, really. That we stand in Him. That's Paul's whole theology, right? We stand in Christ. We get to get in because because of Him. We get to live and move and have our being in Him. And we get it absolutely for free. And that's the good news. And that's what's offered to you tonight. And I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for that this is true.
that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Um, We pray that the truth of that would sink in on our hearts more and more. And we ask that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.